I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. We've been on this sermon series called Altered Living. And it's all about establishing, I believe, the core of what we do at the altar. What's the purpose of it? What do we get from it? And we've been, over the last couple of weeks, diving into some stories from the Old Testament where an altar was built and a revelation was had. And it's all been revelations of who God is. See, the purpose of the altar, I think so many times we get stuck with what we're bringing to the altar and we don't want to, I don't want to take that back with me. But if you're bringing something, God works in a beautiful exchange system. He's going to take whatever broken thing you bring him, and he's going to give life back to you, right? If we talk about, I, I preach this from a funeral perspective all the time when we have so many grieving hearts. When you bring your grief, he returns it with joy. When you bring your ashes, he gives you beauty. So when we come to an altar, which represents whatever we're bringing, turning it to ash, when they had a sacrifice in the Old Testament, they brought that animal, and they set it on fire, and they burned it to ash. So you're, although you may be bringing a thing or an item or a care or something, your desire when you put it on the altar is not that it stays in the same form and you pick it up and take it back with you. It is burning that care, that concern, that fear, that anxiety, whatever it is, so that you can take life back with you. So you can take a revelation of who God is. Abraham sacrificed his son, didn't have to, stopped it, gave him the ram. In that moment, God was provider, Jehovah Jireh. Moses won the battle, even though it knew it wasn't him. But in that moment, he made an altar in Jehovah Nissi because the Lord is my banner. I'm not going, don't follow me. Don't follow my staff. We're going to follow the Lord. And then we've been talking over the last two weeks of that week. And then this week, Gideon, in a moment of God showing up in a place where the children of Israel have been doing some things on their own, not doing what he told them. And they'd lost their way, even though they were in the promised land, they'd lost their, their way in the the ability to walk in what he'd called them to. He shows up to Gideon as the lowest of the lows in his own word and sends an angel, does an amazing thing, and the angel disappears. And instantly, as any of us would, Gideon is scared. And the Lord says, Gideon, have peace. So in that moment, because of the impact of that moment, the revelation of what God brings, not fear and anxiety, but he brings peace, Gideon makes an altar and he says he will be known as Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is my peace. Not the Lord is peace, the Lord is my peace. There is a very intimate space there. Gideon can't make that up for anybody else, but for me and what I've experienced, I now have access to an intimate peace. And you need to understand it from that intimate perspective for what Gideon's about to go through, because we're going to get into it. Last week we talked about the independent peace. 
and how it's not due in a response, but it is invitational. It is a response will occur once you experience that peace. Gideon was responding. Once he experienced that level of peace, he's like, okay, I can do this thing. Now, we're going to talk about some things today that he didn't just jump in and just, he's got everything figured out, right? And like, on that one moment, even though he made an altar, said, Jehovah Shalom, like, Gideon still struggled in some areas. That's what I wanted to spend some time today on and let you know, because we talked about last week, laying some of our old gods down, the things that we have made God in our life, tearing down some of the altars. Right after Gideon did that, he had to remove his father's altar to a broken God. And, you know, talking about today, even in our churches, our traditions, things that become intertwined along the way, sometimes we get to tear those things down to be restored into what their original intent was. Because right after he tears that down, he hasn't built an altar. He may have used, we don't know this, I would only assume that he used pieces of the altar he broke down. Because the altar was just stone. But the altar was de defined by who it was worshiping. Imagine that. If Gideon just tore the whole altar down and rebuilt it the same way it was, just a little jagged because he broke it all up, it was in the act of response. I'm building this to God. And it was in that moment, the restore that. So I want to share with you some thoughts today. We're going to read uh, as we have been, but I'm going to trim it down just a little bit in Acts 17. I uh, encourage you, if you've not been with us or if you've not read this yet, go back and read Acts 17, 22 through 27. But I just want to read 26 and 27 uh, today. This is Paul talking to the men of Athens. He said, and he made, and he's telling them what the intent of God was. And I'm going to have to change my setting real quick. Y'all just stick with me. I don't have any cool music right now, but I don't, then we're going to be here all day because my thing's going to keep timing out. Da, 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 da. There we go. Y'all still with me? Thanks for the patience and the grace. Acts 26 and 27 says, And he made from one man every, na every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. I think you need to hear that as I was reading that this week, that that line stuck with me. Having determined allotted periods, tell your neighbor there is a time that I'm in. You have a time. And the boundaries of their dwelling place, tell your other neighbor there's a place for me. Y'all need to know that. You are in a time and you are in a place. We worry about everybody else's places but our own. We worry about everybody else's times but our own. But what we have to begin to walk in is our time and our place. It is allotted. And the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. Such a beautiful statement that in your time and in your place, God is already there. And if you would just seek him, if you would just look for him and feel around, it, it, it speaks to such a simplicity of a child. See, there's things we don't reach for anymore, right? Anybody have a crawl space under your house? We had one in a, one of our older houses. You couldn't have paid me to go underneath and feel around in there. Why? Because I know what I might find in there. Mm-mm. Not my mama's baby boy. Not happening. 
It becomes the same way with God. We're worried. We just heard it from our youth this morning. I was worried about what I would find. Why is that? Because there's a declaration of who God is from the world around us. So what we've been told, it scares us to a place that we don't want to reach for him anymore. But what he's telling you here is you don't have to worry. Why is that? Because at these altars, God revealed himself to these people. If you know who he is, you'll have no problem reaching out for more because you'll realize exactly what you need he'll give you at the right time. He'll be there for you in that space. So there's such a quiet place in this. And then Judges 6, 23 and 24. Judges 6, 23 and 24. It's on the screen, but uh, if you have your Bible and you want to read with me. This is the declaration by Gideon. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. I, actually, I said my earlier. I said the Lord is Peace. And today this still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. So in that moment, it was an intimate moment with him but it was a declaration of who God is, the very character of God. Jehovah Shalom is in our words. The Lord is peace means Jehovah Shalom. I want to spend just a few minutes on getting into this word Shalom because Shalom in what we understand, and this happens in the English language a lot, a word just becomes a single word and it becomes very one-dimensional and we lose the intent of what the actual word means. Love is a perfect example. and We've talked about that before. There's like four or five words in the Hebrew language that we've just dumbed down to one word. And then we don't, want, we don't understand the, the differences of it. As we were going to bed last night, we have uh, a young lady that's staying with us, a friend of Emma's, and I was going to the house like, I love you. And I got to her and I said, Marissa, I love you. And she goes, I love you? I said, well, thanks for making it awkward. The Bible says love your neighbor. We're neighbors. So and she goes, that's true. But it, it, it's funny, right? You think about love, it's like when you say that, it's like, that's a contract. I, I don't even know you that well. You're going to give me the same words you just gave your daughters and your wife? Like, that's weird. But if you think about love, it's so much deeper than just what we've made it out to be. But shalom, shalom in the ancient Hebrew meaning was actually this. It was not peace. This leapt off the page to me because peace actually comes from what this means. Shalom means to make something whole. In other words, peace is a result, or a lack of peace is a result of brokenness. Hmm, chew on that for a little bit. You got a little hot sauce on it. Whatever your method of condiment is. To make something whole. And if you get into the Old Testament, if you actually got into the Hebrew writing of the Old Testament, shalom is used a lot more than just in moments of peace. It's actually used in Exodus 21 and 22. If you go back and look at 21 and 22, there is nothing peaceful about what they're talking about. They're actually talking about having slaves or having workers, indentured servants, the requirement for those. Uh, an animal, maybe, if, if you have an animal that is on loan for somebody and you kill it, what's required? Shalom is meant to, in these statements right here, make it good, shall surely pay, make full restitution, or to restore. Shalom is used in all of those in the Hebrew writing. So in a situation where something happens, a brokenness occurs, where a break in contract has happened over what was required, I'm, I'm going to work for you for this, if there's a break in that contract, peace or shalom is actually in making it good, 
shall surely pay. That's an assurance that if this is done, this is the response. See, that was the purpose of the law was to establish a response to brokenness, right? Children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. They had experienced living a different style, living a different way, and in order for them to get back, God was setting a standard out of brokenness. Shalom. Shalom is towing line, meeting the standard. If you follow me and my way, there is peace. Shalom. In Genesis 43, 27, 28, we see another way that shalom. This is the story of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. After he's already in Egypt, so he was thrown out by his brother, sold into slavery, rejected, goes in slavery, works his way up, ends up in the house of Egypt in the Pharaoh's uh, most trusted advisors. And in that moment, now the nation of Israel, the children of Israel need a place. So he invites them in to a place of abundance. He was put there in his allotted time and boundary and dwelling place. Come on, God will open a door for you if you'll walk through it. Sometimes even when you won't, he just keeps inviting. Come on, I have this already allotted for you. I've already put this before you. Trust me, there's peace in the trust. So then in that place where they come, the brothers come, he begins to ask some questions. Joseph is asking about his father's health and shalom is used for well-being. It's used, is your father well in good health? How is your father's shalom? It's a completeness. It's a wholeness. It's a wellness. See, now we ask for peace in a lot of things, but we don't really ask for the depth of biblical peace or shalom. This is going back. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, we have one word, love, joy, peace. But the depth of the fruit is so much deeper. We've limited it because of what we know. But when you get in his presence, you begin to experience a depth you never experienced before. Y'all with me? In today's Jewish society, shalom is a common greeting. They, they say, shalom alaykum. And I don't have the, but it, I had to practice that a little bit. Shalom alaykum. And it means peace be to you. So out of a culture of wholeness and well-being, they are speaking a blessing onto each other. It is commonplace. You'll even see, shalom, may you be of well-being or may health and prosperity be upon you. Imagine if we begin to speak in American culture blessings over each other. We're more apt to hear curses thrown at somebody than we are blessings put upon them. It's just who we are. And you got nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. So a lot of us just don't say anything at all because we wouldn't have anything nice to say. That's why we don't hear blessings. Well, I didn't curse them. Yeah, but the fact that you didn't bless them, Jesus said you might as well because you already did it in your mind. Oh, mama was wrong all along, all along. We walk around incensed. Why? Because we don't have a wholeness. True blessing comes out of a shalom within us, and we don't have a frustration or a fear and anxiety that if I give a blessing, then I won't have any blessing left 
because there is an assuredness of the wholeness that I have with God. In that place of existing, in that place of trusting, in those altered moments in our life of understanding who he is, then we begin to walk in blessing. I said this last week, but I think Gideon right there, it says in Oprah. What if we begin to spiritually walk like Oprah? You get a blessing. You get a blessing. You get a blessing. Everybody gets a blessing. That's the place of abundance that Jesus came to give. It's not an abundance of money, and the blessing's not all in dollars and cents. The blessings are so much bigger because the currency of heaven is not the currency of man. He can use it, and he will if we'll let him. But we like to keep our hands on that too. But if we trust him and we follow what Jesus said on earth as it is in heaven, not in heaven as it is on earth. Mm, imagine that. But that's where we operate. Shared this on Facebook. Somebody posted it. You can't hear what God's trying to say about you because you've already put the words that you expect him to say in his You already know what you want him to say. That's why he ain't talking. Because when he says something different, you ain't listening. That's a whole nother thing. Shabbat Shalom. I want to share this last, and we're going to get into the story of Gideon some more. Shabbat Shalom. So on every Saturday, they have Shabbat. Every Friday night from sundown till Saturday at sundown, they celebrate Shabbat, and they have a dinner. And life shuts down. I just got to go to Israel a few months ago, and it is amazing. Like, they got toilets that just flush themselves because you can't flush the toilet. Like, there ain't no work going on. Elevators just stop on every floor because you can't push the elevator button. Now, that's a whole other level, and we ain't going to get into the, into the religious nature of that. But there was a desire for something. What does that experience mean? What are they trying to celebrate? Shabbat means this. It comes from two words, lishbat, which means to stop, and lashavet, which means to sit. So Shabbat Shalom is spoken on the Sabbath, and really what it means is peace or wholeness or well-being comes from rest with God. Y'all with me? So we some busy times, right? How many of you this week alone have said, I wish I had time to rest? You may not have said it with your mouth, but you said it with your actions. Usually it's with our kids. I wish I had time to just sit on my butt and do nothing. Sorry if you don't like the word butt. Pray for me silently right now. Lord, give me grace. We do it. Whether we say it or not, we do it. It's a response. I wish I had. Common in our house. Welcome to my life. When you get busy, welcome to my life. Me and Morgan go back and forth, right? Whoever's busy, welcome to my life. And I'm like, I've been in your life. I know she's been in mine. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting out of this. Peace comes from the rest of God. So what happens in this Gideon moment, in this altar moment of shalom, now we're going to see his steps begin to change. But I want to invite you into a place that you're not much different. Because in Judges 6, 33 and 40, we see his instant response after he tears down the altar, which is really cool. He responds, does what God stands up against the people in his village. Then... 
God says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to save Israel, to defeat the Midianites. And it's funny, right before he says this, it says all these armies begin together. Not just Midianites anymore. It's the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of East came together. Y'all remember Amalekites? Y'all remember where that came from? Look what Moses was told. Lord is my banner. When he defeated them, and the Lord said, I already got them taken care of. Midian, let me restore what I've already told to Moses, but you've been following the wrong banner, so let me reestablish the banner you're following. See that? Who God is becomes apparent if you tap into him. I've already taken care of them, and I'll take care of them again because now they're joining the Midians, but I'm going to take care of them too because that's your own battle. Okay? They all begin to gather, and that's the moment God says, I, Gideon, I need you to now lead a group of men. And Gideon's like, I'm the least of the least. I know God, you said you're and I found peace in that, but... I'm going to need a sign. <laughs> I love places in the Bible because we off on the sidelines like, oh, Gideon, you just got a sign. We're no different. We're constantly asking for signs. Lord, if that's you, I'm the same way. We're sitting in a worship service the other night and God's just downloading this word into me as I'm sitting there. And I'm like, God, if you want me to say, you better tell the pastor to introduce me or invite me up. I'm not just going to go up to him and say, hey, I feel like this word. Sure enough, Pastor Matt, hey, Pastor Anthony, thank you for coming. You got a word? I'm like, yeah. Need a sign, Lord. What if we just did what God told us to do when he told us to do it? You know what we would have? Shalom. There was an unsettling in my spirit the whole time. Is this just me or is this God? He's like, Anthony, you're a mess, bro. Get your head straight. Let me just be Jehovah Shalom for a minute. Gideon's the same way. Does this, angel appears. He says, no, no, have, don't have fear, have Shalom. So then he's like, okay, God, if this is you, because those armies are getting bigger by the moment, if this is you, I need you to show me a sign. And I think it's in this place that we have mistaken this for a lack of trust. Why? Because in Matthew 12, 39, we hear Jesus say this, and then we can misinterpret what the Word says. He says, an evil and adulterous generation need a sign. Wow. Well, I guess Gideon's an evil and adulterous generation. Who was Jesus talking to when he said that? Anybody know? Scribes and Pharisees, ones that should have known him, ones that declared to know him, the ones that were the pocket squares with the big Bible. They didn't carry the little red Bible. They got that big one. And a concordance. Walk through town. You say you know me. And if you need a sign, guess what? You're further away than you think. What Gideon is actually being invited into here is a place of trust. Every one of us, regardless of whether you were raised in church or not, never really truly trusted God in the manner that you need to that would give you a pureness of shalom. I know, I've been raised in church my whole life, and I'm still working on the path of trust. Maybe you're better than me. Maybe you got it, maybe you don't. But I believe with us as Christians, not as Jews, we didn't understand the depth of the shalom that we've been invited into. So we're on the back door coming in, and we're in this culture and society of haste and all the things, the fear and anxiety that is heaped upon us. And in order to walk out of one and into the other, it requires some signs 
as down payments of shalom. Richie, you lead our Bible study here. Man is always in the word studying. Over the last, we'll just cut it to three years. Has there been signs in your life for you to trust him more in areas that you didn't? Not visible signs, but if there have been reflection or connection moments where maybe in the Word you read through that Scripture a hundred times, like, bam. It's like, oh, I've missed that how many times? Or in conversation, that's where I see it a lot, is I'm having a conversation with somebody and it's like, exactly what I needed to hear, I heard. Now, we don't see this fleece that we're about to talk about, but it's in communication and connect, or we just see God, I, I love it, when a sermon series just drops at the right time or a word drops at the right time and you've been praying over, man, I just need to hear this. And then somebody says it and you're like, are you kidding me? And he's like, you asked for it? Well, Gideon's is the same thing. He says, Lord, if you're talking to me, when I wake up in the morning, this fleece, I want, he says, if there will be dew on the fleece alone, and the ground around it will be dry. If it's you. He goes to bed like a little child, right? Trying to build trust. I can only imagine Gideon wake up in the morning, it's Christmas. Comes in there and sure enough, the fleece has dew on it and the ground around it is bone dry. How many of y'all are going out to fight the Midianites and Amalekites, all this big army? Yeah, y'all are just like Gideon. My hand was raised just trying to get you to raise your hand, but I'm still like, this could have happened. Like, come on, God. Maybe I should ask for something harder. So then Gideon's like, okay, God, I know you did this, but if you would be really cool and just really show me, because you're asking a lot of me. Remember, lowest of the low. Now, tomorrow, if you could flip the script and you could have dew on the whole ground and the fleece be dry, that'd be pretty cool. So he goes to sleep. And he wakes up the next morning, and sure enough, dew all over the ground, no dew on the fleece. See, God wasn't offended in this moment of question. Why? Because he knew Gideon didn't know him the way he should have. He said, I am the God of Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You should know me because your daddy should know me. But your daddy's building altars to broken images and little gods that aren't actual gods. So I know you don't know me because a legacy has been left upon you. A generation has turned away from me. So I am giving a sign to an evil and adulterous generation because they chose not to follow. I'm not making an assessment on who you are, Gideon. I'm merely telling you what you are the result of. So I'll reveal myself. Why? Because I need you to trust me. I need you, if nobody else, to have a shalom about you, an assuredness of who I am, a wholeness as you walk with me, because I'm about to put you in a place where you have to stand out from the crowd. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is something that he even responds in your asking. He will reward you, but not just with what you need. He's going to guard your heart and your mind. Why? Because he's trying to get you whole. Luke 24, 36, 
The disciples who had walked with him, knew him, ran and hid after he had died, right? Why? Needed a sign. I just need a sign that, that well, everything you said was real. He's like, okay. So he shows up to them. Didn't knock on the door and come in. He just magically appears. Oh, where'd you come from, Jesus? What does he say to them when he walks in? Because instantly there's a fear. Even though they ask for this sign, they ask for him to reveal himself, they're looking for him. And the moment he arrives, guess what? Gideon moment all over again. Gideon was fearful in his heart. Why? Because the angel just disappeared all of a sudden. Jesus appeared. They're right back to square one where Gideon was. And what does he say to them? Shalom alaykum. Peace be to you. God ain't trying to change the narrative, flip the script, change the terminology. He is. The same thing he said to Gideon is the same thing he's going to say to his disciples. Why? Because Jesus was in perfect alignment with what he was trying to get into the earth. The same thing I'm trying to get into Gideon, disciples, I'm trying to get into you. Why? Because you need a wholeness of your shalom, because you're about to walk into a place of purpose. You're about to walk in my shoes, in my steps, because I need you to reveal a gospel of love, grace, and mercy, of peace and joy to a world that's in need. And if you're not in alignment with me, if you don't understand who I am and what I bring, you will fall short. I'm not worried that you need a sign. I'm going to go out of my way to make sure you have it. Why? Because I need you to be connected to me. I need you to walk in the assuredness. When I tell you to do something, there's a shalom because we are whole. So after this, now he tells Gideon to go get army. Okay? So he gathers up all the men and Man, everybody's excited to fight all of a sudden. All the people from all of the areas start to come. Why? Because there's a peace about Gideon, I believe. There's a, well, a wholeness about him when he speaks with a passion about what they're about to do. People are invited into that place. Why? Because all around them, there is no shalom. And now all of a sudden, when they get around him, they're experiencing something different. This is the purpose of getting fruit of gaining the fruit of the Spirit, of walking in who, he's, who Jesus was. When he got in your presence, everybody who was hungry for something wanted to stay around him. Crowds just developed. Word traveled. They were not beating down the doors of the temple to hang out with those yahoos. Why? Because there wasn't any fruit in that place. But when Jesus got in the room, something changed. Hungers began to be quenched. Narratives began to be changed. Mindsets were shifted. It was invitational to walk into a relationship. So now in Judges 7.22, we begin to see this begin to, or excuse me, Judges 7, 1 through 25. I'm not going to read through all of it, but I want to tell you kind of what happens. So 32,000 men arrive ready to fight. Okay, number's a little bit better now. Yeah, let's go. Got the fleece, got 32,000 men, and then God says, no, no, we ain't going to do it with all them. We're going to prune a little bit. All them people ain't bought in. Or realistically, I don't need that. Stick with me a little bit. 
So he begins to go through a pruning process. He said, whoever is fearful and trembling first, let him return home. You know how many people left? You want to see your numbers dwindle. Ask people in your life who's scared. If you're scared, you can go home. Or today's time frame, you're scared, go buy a dog. How many times are you going through some stuff in your life and if you stopped and said, if you're scared, go on? We don't do that. Why? Because we need people in our corner. Then we're fearful because of the people we surround ourselves with. He said, I need to get the fearful out first because they're going to affect your mindset. I know you got shalom, but if you got 32,000 people around you who are fearful, it's going to affect you whether you like it or not. So change your atmosphere on the outside. Change who you're allowing into your inner courts. Change who is getting access to you. Okay, if you're scared, you can go. 32,000 people, 22,000 go. Bus ticket out, gone. 32,000, 10,000. Okay, God, I remember the fleece. It's still gonna be good, guys. Gideon's probably a little more confident than this other 10,000 that stuck around like, I'm going to stay. I trust him. I tr There's something different about this dude. I hear his voice. I, it just speaks. Something tugging on me to be a part of this. 10,000 people. Okay, I think we can still do this. Then the Lord says to Gideon, take them down to the water, and we're going to test them a little bit more. He said, I want them to go down and drink. And as a response, we're going to prune a little bit more. He said, if they go and they go in and they just start drinking the water, put their face in it, lick it up. But he said, look out. Watch those ones that put their hands in it. And their eyes are on the... He said, because even with shalom, you need some wisdom. Don't be reckless. You need to listen. Out of that 10,000 that was remaining... After all the men that just jumped in and drank the water, the ones that looked, out of that 10,000, 300 remained. <laughs> the 300 like, bro, you just let him go because he was drinking water the wrong way? That was like the biggest dude on the team. Have you seen his jumper? Have you seen the way he slings that arrow? Jeez. Come on, man. 300. You gotta listen. You gotta look. Because I'm aligning a group of people who can do something beyond themselves, but they're aware. They're searching for something. They see that they can be a part of something, and it's gonna challenge them. There's something in their posture already that's positioned them to do something big. See, this is the church. There should be a group of people with a posture, with their eyes on a purpose that's calling them towards something. So when they get the call, when they get somebody in their midst that's feel that passion, feel that peace, they're like, I'm going to roll with that because that's amplifying something to me. That's the Holy Spirit in the church. Gideon's got something. He's tapped into something. Ooh, I feel that in me too. It's challenged me to do some things differently. Gideon's not going to fight this fight for me. I'm going to have to fight myself. All those ones just went and drank the water, they just trusted somebody else to do it for them. Those ones drinking... I'm ready whenever it comes. So that 300, now we see in this moment, well, I want to I go back, fruit breeds fruit. What we see in that moment is getting down to the numbers as we in Judges 7, 17, 
as he's beginning to get these 300 men, he says this, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. This is a response to something because Gideon needed another sign. You had all the way, you had all these, the numbers around you begin to change the, the feelings, right? 32,000, he may, may not have needed this sign, but he gets down to 300, he needs one more sign. But he doesn't even say it. This is how God knows you better than you know yourself. God begins to talk to Gideon back in, in nine. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it under your hand, period. But if you are afraid to go down, Gideon, I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. You've, you've talked a big game. You've done well with that 300 out there, but when you come in your tent, I see the tremble still. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Perah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and after your word, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he went down there. He gets down close enough. He hears a man telling a dream. Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came, and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the lowest of the lows, a man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. In other words, Gideon, they were already convinced in who you are before you ever get. It ain't the numbers you got. They already have an assuredness that this battle is won. So in that moment, something shifts, something changes. And this moment, I believe, is where Gideon truly steps in because there's confirmation. Just as Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body. In other words, I need this 300 to begin to operate as one. Come on in, youth. Y'all can sit on down. Y'all get the meat of this, the, at least the cherry on top. Judges 7.22. Because what happens is God tells them even how to fight their battle. He said, and say, go in with swords and shields. That's not what I need you to do. Why? Because I'm going to do this. I got you, Gideon. I just needed to get you here. I need you to get a front row seat because you're about to tell a story to somebody that you'll never lose. You're about to be persuaded in a way that you'll never. You're about to experience a wholeness and a fullness of shalom that nobody has had for a while. This 301 men are about to do something crazy, and it's not anything they do. It's just that you were there. He says, when I get you down there, I want you to hold a lamp, and at the right time, I want you to break that lamp so the fire's there, and I want you to sound your trumpet. So they go down, and Gideon tells them all, here's what we're going to do. Okay, Gideon, I brought my sword. I guess I'll just leave it here. They go down. They do that, sound the, the alarm. All of a sudden, the men in the camp, they see these fires of many people. They hear the trumpets that sound like an army of elephants coming in. in the midst of chaos and confusion, they begin to attack one another. And before Gideon and his troops ever get into the camp, everyone's already dead because they slayed one another. You want to know what shalom brings to you? God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. See, because their pursuits were something else in that moment, of an expression of God, it caused confusion in someone who wasn't listening to him. 
There's times that we speak the word, that we do something out of what he's, and there's confusion. It's not because of what you're doing. It's because that they're not listening to the right voice. In an alignment of that body, they were able to do something in unity through shalom, a wholeness. See, this is the other broken part. Peace, we think is when it comes to war. Peace, make love, not war, man. Peace, bro. The Aaronic blessing was pronounced over the children of Israel. May the Lord keep you. May he bless you, keep you. May his face shine upon you. May his countenance over you and give you peace. Right before he sent them into the promised land to fight battles. Why did he fight battles with those people? Because they weren't tied into his wholeness. They were attacking his shalom. They were coming against the identity of his people. I want you to be whole and well. Peace is not an absence of struggle. It is a wholeness within your struggles. I won't remove the struggles. Why? Jesus said this. He said, uh, I missed it. I have it in here somewhere. See, I just get going on my notes. Wait, he told him, he said, I'm sending you a comforter. Why? Because you'll go through trials and tribulations. This before he left. And then he still come up and said, Shalom, peace. I promise you you're going to go through trials and tribulations. The peace is independent of them. It's with you, and I am with you. Second Thessalonians 3.16. This would be on the screen. Read this last week. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Give you peace at all times in every way. See, when you get back to the wholeness in your well-being, this brings strength to what Jesus said in your first commandment. Your greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because when I can get you to a place to love Him with your wholeness, when I can heal you in your well-being, and your heart, your soul, your mind are centered on Him, I guarantee you there's a shalom that comes upon you. That shalom allows you to begin to love yourself in a new way. I shared this this week. What if we started valuing people in our lives instead of attempting to validate them? Because the moment you receive love and shalom and identity from Him, you understand who you are and where your love comes from, you know you can give it away. Because where your wholeness occurs, where your peace occurs, where your well-being occurs, you're going to realize those out there that need that. And your response will be to take it to peace. What's stealing your shalom today? I want to leave you with that question. Think on your life. the struggles that we go, the things that we come to the altar to lay down. And we continue to go to the altar to lay it down. God, I just, your prayer life almost looks like I let my dog out every morning. When I let her out, she's got a circle that she runs, worn out in the grass. I can tell you every morning where she's going to run. 
one tree barks at this squirrel, runs the whole back fence line, runs to this tree, barks at this squirrel, runs around to the front, then she can go take care of her business. But she's got to do this lap every day. Our prayer life looks like that in areas that we don't trust God, where there is no shalom in. We go to the altar, we pray, maybe we cry out depending on how important it is to us. We leave the altar, we come back to the altar. The Bible is filled with many altars, but we a lot of times get stuck with one altar because we've not fulfilled the moment of revelation in that place. We choose to carry those things. There's no shalom in there. We don't learn something about God, therefore learning something about ourselves. What have you held on to? What is the struggle in your life? Where is the, the thing that continues to pop up? And I ask you, have you truly left it at his feet? Have you truly laid it on the altar? The fear and the anxiety that comes with it. Because that's the currency of the enemy. If he can get you rich on fear and anxiety, he can get you broke in your purpose. That is the enemy of shalom. So if anything you're struggling with in your spirit of fear and anxiety, I can assure you that's the thing you need to lay on the altar. Because you need to recognize Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Begin to spend your time in your word looking for scriptures that come against that fear and anxiety why if you feel for me you'll find it. begin to come directly against the enemy that's standing over but just as Gideon said it's okay to ask for a sign but what's your response He's going to begin to whittle things down in your life. Remove weapons from your hands that you thought you needed. Why? Because he wants to be there in that space. He's going to begin to remove people from your life that speak negatively against what you're walking through that are going to keep you stuck in that space of fear and anxiety. He's even going to remove people that you thought were prepared but weren't postured to walk with you in a level of trust. Jesus walked into spaces of healing, Jairus' daughter, and he whittled down the crowd. He said, no, no, no. All y'all that are crying, all y'all that don't have shalom in the moment, y'all need to get on out. You three that came with me, mom and dad, mom and dad, you got a vested interest in this. You sent for me because you know who I am, or at least you need me to be. I need you in the room. You three that came with me, Y'all better know who I am. Let's go. Because we're about to walk into a shalom of fullness because there will be healing and well-being in that girl's body regardless of what you see. Because I am. You begin to pray and respond differently when you have the right people in your corner. Your mindset begins to shift and change. If that's what you're looking for this morning, begin to seek that out in your quiet time, in your prayer life, in your Bible. That's when he's going to give you that sign, that invitation.
for that shalom. Father, we thank you today that you continue to lead us and guide us even when we're stubborn and push back and don't listen, even when we ask for more signs. God, I pray that the people under the sound of my voice today would know that that calling is an intent to build more trust in you so that we can walk in assuredness that we are not alone and a wholeness of your shalom. Father, we give you this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go. 